So how you doing? How you doing? I'm doing all right. My name is Bill Risha. I want to welcome everyone to Encounter, those that are watching online, uh, those that are here. Uh, we just welcome you to the greatest place to be on a Friday night. Very excited about uh, tonight and uh, just, so, just so stoked that you guys are here wherever you are around the country. And uh, so we're going to get right, right into it. So tomorrow, I'm actually flying out to Denver. Uh, Colorado. I'm going to spend a few days with some dear friends of, of me and Carol and Bob and Cindy. They're just the most wonderful people. I met Bob when I was on staff at Flatirons Church in Colorado, and Bob is an avid golfer. And uh, Bob is actually going to treat me to a round of golf tomorrow and then take me out to a Broncos-Cowboys football game on Sunday. It's actually pretty good. I want, the reason why I'm telling you that is that Bob has the, Bob has the best golf story ever. And uh, this is actually a true story, and it's a story about honesty. And I love this story. I tell it to strangers that I meet on the golf course all the time. Bob is an avid golfer, and he has a bunch of guys that he plays golf with. He's not a real serious golfer. He just loves the game, and he just loves you know, just being out on the course. And he has one guy that's always cheating. He's never honest. He's always given the wrong score. He always finds his ball when his ball is lost. He always kicks the ball and, and everything. So him and his friends, including this guy, take a trip to Scotland, which is where the game of golf originated, and they go play the original golf course, and they play St. Andrews, and, and, uh, and they're all playing out there, and they, all get, they get to this one hole, and they all hit their shots, and it's a par three, and it's just, if you know anything about golf, if you ever get a hole in one, that's like the Super Bowl. That's like the greatest thing you could ever... I've never had a hole-in-one, and I'm a scratch golfer. I scratch my head every time I hit the ball. And so, so they, go, they, get, they get up to this hole. They can't see the pin. They all hit their shots. And the guy who's never honest runs ahead of everybody, and he runs to the back of the green, and he says, I found it, and he hits his ball up to the green. And as he hits his ball up to the green, the other three guys, including my friend Bob, noticed that his first shot went in the hole, and he had a hole-in-one uh, at the original course in Scotland, and to this day, because he's never honest, they haven't told him. <laughs> this was about 12 or so years ago. I don't know how many years ago, but to this day, my friend, Bob's friend, doesn't know he had a hole-in-one. Now, if he would have been honest... He, they, they would have told him, but they're never going to tell him because he's just dishonest. I was in Starbucks yesterday, and I ordered just this little appetizer, this little egg white with roasted red peppers, okay? And some kids were there, and they, they brought my order out, and some kid uh, said, well, that's my name. Must, you know, I'll just take it. And he stole the food and walked out of Starbucks. And I thought, what a dishonest kid. And it didn't bother me, but he robbed, he robbed food out of Starbucks. And, uh, and I just share those stories with you because honesty is a key, key word, especially in anchor number five. And that's what we're going to go over tonight. Anchor five says, get honest about my past so I can discover God's best version of me. Honesty is the first word I want you thinking about before you start this reflective journey of healing of discovering how you became the person you are today so you can become God's best version of you tomorrow. Psalm 32 says this, Yes, what joy, 
for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. The second word I want you thinking about is the word trash. First one is honesty. Second word is trash. When I was a kid, I hated taking the trash out. I grew up on the fourth floor of an apartment building in New York City on 114th Street in East Harlem in New York City. I had to walk up four flights of stairs because our apartment was, was on the top floor every day up and down. Now, when you, that's actually my building that was renovated, the one to the left right there. That's where, I, that's where I grew up in East Harlem, New York City. Now, when you grow up in a neighborhood like mine, it was important to never let your trash build up. It was important to get it out of the apartment onto the streets like you see it there and placed into those heavy trash cans. If you didn't, your apartment became infested with roaches, mices, even rats. I mean, the rats were as big as Labradors. And uh, now my dad left when I was six months old and my mom raised me and my two sisters by herself in that apartment. Being the man of the house, I was given the chore of always taking out the trash. And I would do everything in my power to get out of that chore with hundreds of excuses. I guess subconsciously, I always knew that that, that trash reflected something terribly wrong inside of me. And the same excuses I had for not taking out the physical trash in my apartment were the same excuses I used not to deal with the trash in my own personal life. When I was in high school, we moved to the Bronx. The apartment we lived in had something I've never seen before. I don't know if you've ever seen these things. A trash compactor. Have you ever seen one of these things? Amazing. I love, the, I love a trash compactor. Uh, it was just... I mean, it was a place where you could just put garbage in and garbage in and garbage in, and you could get more trash in the same place. And the trash compactor seemed to make life just a whole lot better because the trash seemed smaller. It even seemed to go away at times because it was so compacted. But in reality, that trash never got smaller. It just got packed a whole lot tighter. That's the thing about that trash. And you know what I've discovered about compacted trash? It still stinks. It really does. And left in that place, it'll cause the same, and some cases worse damage that regular trash can cause. You see, I started packing away some, some trash in my heart at an early age. And it started growing inside of me like an emotional cancer. And it wreaked havoc on my life. I had trash that was fueled by shame and guilt that consumed me and ate away at my emotional core. I mean, the largest garbage company in the world is waste management. They couldn't even come close to handling the trash in my life. The CEO of the greatest recycling trash company in the world, in the universe, was the person I contacted to take the trash out of my life. His name is Jesus Christ. That's who I contacted. And he's the great recycler of trash, of pain, of hurt, of resentments, of character defects, of sins, pain, shame, guilt, regrets. And I've discovered that he's a healer. I want to share another observation about trash. And that is we tend to never address our trash when we can't smell it. It's still there. We only address it when it's piled up so high that the garbage has to go out. Or do we? Let's face it, we all have a complacency side of us that when the smell of our trash gets reduced, we stop running after God. 
as Jan just challenged us earlier, you know, we tend to sit on the sidelines. Well, here's the problem with a reduced smell of trash. It still stinks. And it only gets worse until it gets thrown out and thrown into the recycling bin of the blood of Jesus Christ. So let me ask you, what keeps you stuck? What keeps you going back to that trash over and over again? Because a lot of times we want to blame external things. When the thing that's really wrong in our lives is the stuff that's internal. The things that hold you back all the time, the reason why you can never get to that place of victory are the things that are inside of you. Now, a couple of months ago, I don't know what came over me, but I decided to clean out our garage. And I finally got rid of some junk that has been with us for years. I mean, this was trash that we had in our garage that went with us to three, four different moves. This is trash that we packed in boxes that we moved from Kentucky to Kentucky, that we moved from Kentucky to Colorado, Colorado to Illinois, and brought it out here to California that we never unpacked, but it was still in boxes. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Now, we have a normal trash pickup, but for this trash, we had to call the garbage company for a special pickup. And when it comes to the trash that has been piling up in your life for years, you're going to need a special pickup to make sure you get rid of it. Otherwise, you're going to be stuck with it the rest of your life. And it's going to follow you wherever you go. You see, to get rid of this trash in your life, you're going to have to do an encounter study. You're going to have to apply the fifth anchor of your life so that you can get rid of this trash once and for all. And until you get serious about your life and serious about your walk with God, you're always going to go back to the trash that you throw out. Hey, Kat. Jesus. Oh, it's been a long time. Yeah, um, I didn't expect to see you here. Whoa, what's that smell? That smell? Oh, um, well, that's my trash. I just, I'm a little embarrassed about it. Oh, well, is that why you've been avoiding me? Avoiding you? I, I, I haven't really been avoiding you. I just, you know, I don't, I don't want to get close to you. I mean, I, I just, I don't want you to smell it. I'll take it, Kat. Come oh, on. Oh, no, 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 no. That's okay. I mean, I made it. It's my trash. You know, I should carry it. It's, it's, it's okay. Yeah, but Kat, I mean, this is my job. Right. I take people's trash. That's what I do, so... Right, okay. Well, maybe I could go and just clean it up a little bit, you know? And then I'll just... I'll come back. No, Kat, I don't need you to do that. Um... Okay? I'll take it from you so you don't have to carry the weight. Oh, well, I... Come on. Uh, uh, just, just hand it over. Uh, all, right? all right? Let go. Let go. Yes, yeah, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, How's that feel? Weird. Wow. That is crazy. Yeah, just loosen it up a Whoa, little bit. check that out. I don't know if I've ever moved like that before. Well, I mean, that is crazy. I just, I feel so free and alive. I, it's I mean, the lack of trash. Wow, it's just like, this is the craziest feeling I have ever had. I just, it's like something's missing, you know? Well, I, I just, Get used to feeling free, because that's yeah. what you are now. Right, okay. Uh, what okay. are you doing? I just, I got to get one thing, okay? Hold on just a minute Get here. one thing? No, 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 no. Don't open the bag. Jesus, thank you so much for your sacrifice. I really appreciate all that you've done for me. What's going on here, Kat? What? Look, I'll take the trash, but you need to put that back. 
Oh, um, no, actually, um, that's okay. This is mine. It's my piece. I want to keep it. No, it goes right back in the bag, so I'll help you. Here, no, 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 put no, it no. here. No, Jesus, I, I need to remind myself not to make more trash. I mean, that just Kathleen, makes sense. Kathleen, I will remind you not to make more trash, oh, okay? Oh, well, Jesus, you know... That's what I do. I mean, we'll walk together. I know, but I should be in a better place than this by now. I mean, I just, I'm constantly doing things wrong, you know, and I, I'm just, I'm constantly letting you down. No, the only thing that's letting me down is, is, is you taking the stuff back. Okay. Look, I took care of the trash before you even created it. Oh. Look, don't you see what's happening? Every time I take your trash away, you come back and, and take another piece. And the more pieces you carry around, the more trash you attract. It reeks. Cat, when I look at you, I don't see your sin. I see you. The real you, the free you. This is what I'm fighting for. This is what I died for. Jesus, I'm sorry. I just, please forgive me. I've already forgiven you. The question is, will you forgive yourself? The third word I want you to think about tonight is the word regrets. See, if you have shame, if you have guilt, you'll have regrets. See, God wants you leaving the city of regrets. And God wants you to have a regret-proof life. He really does. And if you don't learn and heal from your regrets, you're going to regress instead of making progress in your life. A guy by the name of Larry Harp wrote a piece called Leaving the City of Regrets. Let me share it with you. He said this, I had not really planned on taking a trip this time of year, and yet I found myself packing rather hurriedly. The trip was going to be unpleasant, and I knew in advance that no, good, no real good thing would come of it, and I'm talking about my annual guilt trip. I got tickets to fly there on Wish I Had Airlines, and it was an extremely short flight. I got my baggage, which I could not check. I chose to carry it myself all the way. It weighed me down with a thousand memories of what might have been. No one greeted me as I entered the terminal to the Regret City International Airport. I say international because people from all over the world come to this dismal town. As I checked into the last resort hotel, I noticed that they would be hosting the year's most important event, the annual pity party. I wasn't going to miss that great social occasion. Many of the town's leading citizens would be there. First, there would be the Dunn family, you know, should have, would have, and could have. Then came the I had family. You probably know Old Wish and his clan. Of course, the opportunities would be present, missed and lost. They would be there. The biggest family would be the yesterdays. There are far too many of them to count, but each one would have a very sad story to share. Then shattered dreams would surely make an appearance. And it's their fault would regale us with stories, excuses about how things had failed in his life. And each story would be loudly applauded by, don't blame me, and I couldn't help it. Well, to make a long story short, I went to this depressing party knowing that there would be no real benefit in doing so. And as usual, I became very depressed. But as I thought about all these stories of failures brought back from the past, it occurred to me that all of this trip and subsequent pity party could be canceled by me. I could have canceled it. 
I started to truly realize I didn't have to be there. I didn't have to be depressed. And one thing kept going through my mind. I can't change yesterday, but I do have the power to make today a wonderful day. I can be happy. I can be joy-filled. I can be fulfilled, encouraged, as well as encouraging. Knowing this, I left the city of regrets immediately and left no forwarding address. Am I sorry for the mistakes I've made in the past? Yes. But there is no physical way I can undo them. So if you're planning a trip back to the city of regret, cancel your reservations right now. Instead, take a trip to a place called Starting Again. I liked it so much that I've taken up permanent residence there. My neighbors, they're pretty awesome. The I forgive myself, the new starts, and the new creations in Christ, well, they're just so helpful. By the way, you don't have to carry around any heavy baggage because the load is lifted from your shoulders upon arrival. God bless you in finding this great town. If you can find it, it's in your heart. Please look me up. I live on I Can Do It Street, which intersects the I Can Do All Things Through Christ Boulevard, which leads to the when, a, when the Son of God sets you freeway, you are on the freeway indeed, where everyone is a member of the Me Too Neighborhood Association and humbled to live in a land called grace. That's leaving the city of regrets. Encounter, the first four anchors of encounter that we've been teaching of hope will put you in a great position to heal, to grow when you apply them to your life. By making the decision to get well and realizing that you do a terrible job at trying to do God's job, at playing God, you allow his love and power to restore hope and healing in your life. By making the decision to respond to the love of God, by surrendering your life to Jesus Christ, a real transaction occurred. And you're no longer the same person that you used to be. You're a different person. You trusted in the finished work of Christ, and you were made new, and you were given a new identity in Christ. In return, God declared you not guilty. And he declared that once and for all, you are forgiven, and that now you have an eternal home in heaven. Those are the first four anchors, and if you allow him to do so, he can take out all of the junk that keeps you from discovering all that he's called you to be. When you evaluate your past with the Holy Spirit's help and guidance and look at the events in your life, the events with other people that have impacted how your character defects were developed, how your coping mechanisms were developed, how your fears, insecurities, your doubts, how your pain, how your, how your habits were developed, how all these things were developed in your life. You're going to put yourself in a position where you can finally allow God to heal you, here it is, of the root issues of your life. The fifth anchor of hope is all about getting gut level honest with God, with yourself, and even trusted people. Now, to help you recognize how you became the person you are today and discover God's best version of you moving forward, Anchor 5 requires a few things from you. And this is so important. Number one, you have to have the right mindset 
which simply means recognize and agree with God on the thoughts he wants me to dwell on from his word and the truths that he wants me to live out in my own life. Number two, I have to have the right attitude, which means I humbly allow God to evaluate my thoughts and guide my actions by completely surrendering to him and his word. And number three, I have to have the right motive, which means a desire to love God back from a place of gratitude in response to his great love for me. And number four, I have to have the right spirit of complete honesty. What that simply means, I have to allow the Holy Spirit to search me as I get gut-level honest with God, with myself, and I just go to work with God. So now that you're aware that you need to have the right mindset, the right attitude, the right motive, the right spirit of honesty to discover God's best version of you, I'm going to give you a lot of reading assignments. And if you're doing the encounter study, there's a whole lot more scriptures than what I'm going to share with you tonight. But the main scripture, and this is so important, uh, this is sort of the litmus test. Before you do anchor number five, before you go on this reflective journey, I always tell people, read Psalm 119. Read it. I know it's a long psalm. It's, a, it's, it's got a lot of verses in it. But you should read Psalm 119. You should read the first John, not the book of John, but first John, and you should read chapters 14, 15, and 16 in the book of John. When you read Psalm 119, and when you read first John, and when you read the book of John, those three chapters, 14, 15, and 16, here's the question that you have to ask yourself. And the question is, God does that reflect my heart? Does that reflect where I am right now? And ask God to give you that same passion for his truth. And if at any part of those scriptures that you read in Psalm 119, in John 14, 15, and 16, and in 1 John, and if any part of those scriptures that you don't agree with, that means you missed something in one of the first four anchors. That means it's probably a good time for you to take a time out and see what you missed, and go back to anchor number one, and see what went wrong, because the first four anchors should have put you in a position where you're just ready to soak in all that God has for you through those scriptures in your life, and it's so important for you to go on that reflective journey uh, to see what you missed, because I want to tell you this, anchors five through 12 don't work unless this is your mindset. Unless you can read Psalm 119, 1 John, and the book of John 14, 15, and 16, and say, that's me. That's where I'm at. You see, I've tried, I've tried doing this. I've tried doing this with, in, in my own power. I've tried doing this without the right mindset, attitude, motive, and honesty. I've tried to evaluate my life without the Holy Spirit and it just doesn't work. I've tried living my life never taking personal responsibility for what's inside of me. It does not work. See, when you don't take personal responsibility for your own life, you'll tend to blame the ones you love the most for your own trash. And you'll spew your trash on others. I did. We all do. It's built into our old nature. And all of us do it until we get honest with God. Go back to the first anchor, back in the garden. 
This tendency goes, goes all the way back to that first lesson in the garden. The devil shows up with the two big lies that you'll never die and you could be just like God, right? You'll never die, you could be just like God. And he dupes Eve, who then dupes Adam, who then hides from God, who then blames God, and then blames Eve, and then Eve blames the devil. And we've been doing the same ever since, playing the blame game, never taking personal responsibility, maybe writing a book one day. What happened? I don't know. But that's what happened. It goes back to the garden until we take personal responsibility for our lives. Here's another scripture that you should read, Proverbs 5.21, and realize that God already knows everything about you. Look what it says. For your ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all your paths. Psalm 130, 3 through 4, ask God to remind you of just how much you've been forgiven by him. Look what it says. Lord, if you kept the record of our sins, who could ever survive? How many people are grateful for his grace? I am. If God kept the record of my sin, God kept the record of my thoughts this week, I wouldn't even be here. Look what it says in Isaiah 43, 25 through 26. Read that, and when you read it, ask God to help you get honest about your past. Look what God says. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Review the past for me. Let us argue the matter together. State the case for your innocence. And I love Hebrews 4, 12 through 13, Living Bible Translation. And ask God to search every part of you through his word and the Holy Spirit. You just can't be on the sidelines again. You just got to be all in. Like that couple that Jan was talking about. That guy went all in. It says this, for whatever God says to us is full of living power. It is sharper than the sharpest dagger, cutting swift and deep into our innermost thoughts and desires with all their parts, exposing us for what we really are. He knows about everyone, everywhere. Everything about us is bare and wide open to the all-seeing eyes of our living God. Nothing can be hidden from him to whom we must explain all that we have done. And after you read that, you should read Psalm 139, verses 1 through 18. I was going to read it to you tonight, but I want you to read it. I want you to read it and remind yourself of God's great love for you. And not only God's great love for you, but he knows everything about you. And then when you get to verse 23 and 24, I want you to pray that prayer with just an open heart to God. And this is a powerful prayer that if you really mean it when you pray it and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you, he will personally take this reflective journey with you and write this so-called inventory for you. And it's so important for you to let the Holy Spirit do this work for you. Psalm 139, 23 to 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. So again, you're going to ask God to remind you of his great love for you. And ask God to help you sincerely mean it as you pray this prayer of self-examination. And please don't miss the four things that you're praying for in this prayer. You're praying for search me and know my heart. You're praying to test me 
and know my anxious thoughts. Three, point out anything in me that offends you. And four, lead me along your path. And if you allow the Holy Spirit to search, test, point, and lead you, then anchor five can lead you to a place where God can really heal you, where God can set you free, where God can take every ounce of pain, every ounce of shame, every ounce of guilt, every ounce of fear that you've ever experienced up to this point in your life and finally help you discover his best version of you, his redeemed masterpiece, which is who you are, a trophy of his grace. So you can't change your past, but you can't be free from your past. It doesn't have to hold you hostage any longer. You can give God the keys to your past so you can be set free. You have no control over the things that have happened to you. But you do have control how you respond to the things that have happened to you. And you do have the ability to start responding in godlier and healthier ways. And now the Holy Spirit has a divine way of bringing light into every crevice and every corner of your life, especially the darkness, the stuff that's held you captive, the bad thoughts that you've had for so long. See, God can help you see things for the way that they really are and to reveal to you the havoc that these things have caused in your life especially the broken relationships that you've had with other people and with him. And when these things are revealed and brought to the light, God can finally begin to heal the pain they have caused you maybe most of your life. But you have to give that pain to him. You have to give that pain to God. And you have to want this deliverance. You have to want this freedom. You have to want this healing in your life. See, God doesn't want you walking around with unresolved hurts from your past. God wants to break all your chains so that you can live free from the pain of your past. God wants to do this for you. God wants to restore what the enemy has stolen. God wants to replace your, replace your regrets with a hope for the future. God wants you to discover his best version of you as you experience his great exchange program. See, God wants to exchange his life for your life. He exchanges your shame with his son. He exchanges your guilt with his grace, your sin with his forgiveness, your hate with his love, your pain for his power, your hurts for his healing, your bad habits, your character defects with something godly and positive and most importantly, his Holy Spirit. He exchanges your identity for his identity. He exchanges your hopelessness for his eternal hope. That's what he does. So I gave my life to Christ when I was 37, 20 years ago. But I had the social skills of a young, immature teenager when I gave my life to Christ because I never grew emotionally or socially beyond the hurt of the sexual assault that was done to me when I was 12 years old. My confusion and hurt grew into shame, and that shame grew into anger. To cope with that anger, I began drinking and using drugs. I started having inappropriate sexual relationships with women when I was a very young teenager. I did it all as a way to numb the pain in my life. 
I grew up without the physical touch and love of a father. And to clarify what I said earlier about my dad leaving, he left before I was one years old and never came back. I never saw my dad to this day. I've never met my father. And when I became old enough to see that other people had dads, I wondered why my own dad wasn't around. Why didn't he stick around and be my dad? The sexual assault I experienced as a 12-year-old only added to my abandonment those pre-existing conditions that I've had that were caused by my father. And I acted out in ways that were hurtful to me and hurtful to others. I didn't realize I had these deep abandonment issues because I just tried not to think about it until later in life. And as a result, I became a train wreck. And my life, a total mess. And when I eventually received Jesus into my heart and became a Christ follower, I knew I had to go all in. I knew I had to get out of the boat. I knew I needed to run after God as hard as I ran from God to change me and transform my way of thinking and acting. I had to apply these principles of Anchor 5 to my life. And when I did, I was able to connect the dots and see where the people and events in my life contributed to the person I had become. And as I prayed and allowed the Holy Spirit to search me, search my heart and reveal things to me, which he's still doing, I started writing. I started recording these things. I, you know, Holy Spirit just led me to a place where I just started writing. I said, who has done the things to me? Who did what to me? I, I, I started recording those things in my mind, in my heart, eventually on paper, to what they had done to me. I started, I started, God brought all those things to remembrance, what every single person had done to me. Three, how those people or events, how it made me feel. And then how I responded to those feelings or those people or the events. And then five, how I coped. How I coped with the pain towards those people or events. And then the Holy Spirit revealed to me what character defects or bad habits were developed in my life and what behaviors I exhibited as a result of what people did to me. Holy Spirit brought all that to light for me. And it was then that I could clearly see how I became the person I was. And I had done the things that I did for so many years. Doing this spiritual exercise helped me understand, are you ready, what the root issues were in my life. And how those root issues needed to be rooted out by the Holy Spirit. And when God ripped out the root issues of my life by healing my root issues, I saw God in a different light. I saw God in a way I've never seen God before. And I saw how God sees me for the first time, exactly how he sees me. It was God's best version of me. It was God's best plan for me. It was God's best identity for me. Now, did I want to look back at my past and think about and relive those painful memories over and relive those memories over again? Of course not, but I knew that God was with me, leading me through the whole process. See, before I, I trusted in the Son of God, I gave those unhealthy, I gave those hurts, those unhealthy hurts, power in my life. I gave them permission to wreak havoc in my life. I lived as though those things belonged there. I loved, listen to me very carefully, I loved being the victim. 
I love being the victim. I love the attention I got when I would tell anyone in my path how I was wrong. I love the attention that I got being the victim. I loved to whine. Boy, was I a whiner. I developed habits that continually allowed those hurts to influence my bad behaviors. When I, when I got real with Jesus, I didn't want to live in those hurts anymore. I didn't want to think like that anymore. I was ready for God's healing and deliverance. My unresolved hurts had grown inside of me so long, I was ready for those things to be ripped out of my life. See, I had believed that the lie that the pain in my life would go away, that time would make things better. But they only made things worse. I tried to play God by trying to do it my own way. My efforts to deal with guilt and shame have been woefully unsuccessful. And I learned the hard way that no one is qualified to deal with guilt and shame but Jesus Christ. He's the only person qualified to deal with your guilt and your shame. I lived like this for 36 years, majoring in the minors most of my life. See, the symptoms of my pain, that's majoring in the minors. Excessive use of drugs, alcohol, and sex. I allowed those, those symptoms to dominate my life, but they weren't the root issues. See, you major in the minors when you always try and manage the symptoms of your life and never allow God to deal with you at the root issues of your life. See, the abandonment of a father, the trauma of sexual assault, and the disappointment of losing my lifelong dream were my root issues. They caused me to do the things that I did and to cope with my pain, to numb myself in unhealthy and dysfunctional ways. And when I finally, again, got serious, God just said, okay, are you ready for me to take this out of your life? And it never happened until I got gut level honest with God about who I was, what happened to me, what was done to me, what I did, what was my part, and what I was going to do about it from that day moving forward. He healed me. He set me free. And what he did for me, he wants to do for you. See, the devil convinced me that I wasn't worthy. The devil convinced me that I was a lost cause, that I wasn't worthy of God's love. The devil would convince me that I needed to live in guilt and shame the rest of my life. You see, guilt told me that I always did the wrong thing. Shame convinced me that I was the wrong thing. Shame held me hostage to a false identity. Before Christ, the devil convinced me that I was unlovable and unredeemable. But God declared me not guilty. See, I learned that God's plan for me included a better version of me. Especially a better version than the one the devil was trying to sell me. And I let, it, I let him sell it, sell it to me. But the Bible says that in John 10.10 10, that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. See, my story began with the fact that my earthly father abandoned me. And it ends with the truth that my heavenly father never left me. He's never forsaken me. The finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross declares me a son a child of the one true king. That's who I am. His arms were wide open to forgive me and receive me when I turned from my sins 
and I turn to him. God's grace surrounds me. His love, it overwhelms me. See, my story has become his story. My past is my past, and my future is in Christ. And I'm forever going to live my life in gratitude and praise to the one above who saved me and set me free, most of all, from me. Because what I found to be true is that I was the most destructive force in my life. Not the devil, not other people, but me. I was my worst enemy. Like I said, I grew up without the physical touch of a father. And I'll never forget one day, and I just want to, close, I just want to share this story with you. You've heard it before when I've shared my testimony, but some of you are hearing it for the first time. When I started allowing God to do this work in me, I was, I was just so excited to just experience anything and everything from God. I was part of a Tuesday morning prayer group where about 50 guys got together. And uh, they just believed in the power of God. And, uh, and I was so excited that I got saved in Kentucky, even though I lived in New York. And I couldn't wait to get back to New York now that I was saved, now that God healed me now that God set me free. And my friends would tell me about this church that I needed to go visit. It was Times Square Church where the late David Wilkinson was the lead pastor where a teen challenge started. And, uh, and my friends at their prayer breakfast would say, you need to go visit Times Square Church. And I'll never forget when I, I was so excited to go to this church because I heard so much about it. You had to get, I had to get there two hours early just to get a seat. I had to get there at 8 o'clock just to get a seat for the 10 o'clock service. Otherwise, you get shut out of the building. And when I got into the lobby, there were three guys there, looked like Italian guys, and they were arguing, and I got a little upset that they were arguing. And not upset like I used to, and I wondered, what are these guys arguing about? And I got a little closer, and when I got closer and started hearing their conversation, I realized they weren't really arguing at all. They were just talking scripture. One guy had his Bible open. He goes, no, right there. Jesus said it in Matthew, right there. Jesus said it in Matthew. And so I thought to myself, wow, this is Christianity with an attitude. I'm like right at home, New York, the whole bit, right? This is like, you know, this is awesome. So I had to have the biggest smile on my face. I was just, you know, just so excited that three guys weren't really arguing and they were really talking, they were really talking scriptures to one another. And I'm thinking, I'm right at home. This is awesome. I was getting ready to walk in, into the sanctuary and, uh, and Carolyn was with me, and somebody came up behind me to give me this big hug. And, uh, and, I mean, it was just this big bear hug. And I thought, wow, you know, maybe it's somebody I grew up with. I work right around the corner at the Sheridan New York Hotel, or I know a lot of people in New York, and I thought it was a friend of mine. And I looked to see who it was, and I looked to my left, and there was nobody there. And I looked to my right, and there was nobody there. And for about 15 or so, I don't know how long it was, there were two arms that stood there this tight that just held me, as tight as someone could ever hold someone. And I just hit the deck. I was just crying uncontrollably, except these weren't tears of sorrow. These were tears of joy because I knew I was in the presence of my father. 
and he wrapped his loving arms around me and he started to speak to me. And he whispered in my ear, he said, Bill, I've been here all your life. I've been watching over you. I've been taking care of you. I've been loving you. I have never left you. And I just wanted to welcome you home. Of course, everyone thinks I'm having a nervous breakdown and Carolyn knew what was happening. And it was one of those emotional, physical, real experiences that changed my life forever. Because I grew up without the physical touch of a father. But that day, I was touched by my father in heaven and was reminded that he has never left me nor forsaken me. And he cries and weeps when I'm in pain. And he doesn't want to see any of us ridden with guilt, shame, and regrets. And if you're going to go on a painful, reflective journey, you have a Father in heaven who's going to go along on that journey with you. And if you have to relive, maybe for a short period, some painful things that have been done to you. Maybe you've even suppressed them in your mind, but you've never thought about them. Your Father is going to go through it with you because He loves you and He cares for you because He wants you healed and He wants to rip out the root issues of your life and heal you at the root issues of your life so that you and him can have this. And you can feel those arms. And you can know whether you feel them or not that he loves you. And he's got you covered. And that's what he does. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for how you heal. how even sometimes you allow things to happen so that all we have left is you. Father, I pray that all of us will get honest and discover how we became the person we are today so we can discover your best version of us tomorrow. Remind us of who we are in Christ. Remind us of how much we've been forgiven. And remind us that you'll never leave us nor forsake us as you take us through this reflective journey of healing and deliverance. In Jesus' name, amen.